Good morning. Welcome to the 9.30 a.m. service. You know, during this 21 days of prayer emphasis that we've been in, I've had many people share with me their experiences, both good and bad, when it comes to the subject of prayer. And one of the things that people have said to me like fairly often is that they struggle praying out loud. Anybody have that issue or struggle willing to admit it? You're like, no, if I struggle to pray out loud, I'm not going to easily admit that I struggle. I get it. I get it. One person told me this is actually part of the reason that they've been hesitant to join a connect group because they're like, I'm afraid I'm going to be put in a position in which they're going to ask me to like pray in front of the group. And no, thank you. I'm not dealing with that. And at first as a pastor, I'm like, oh, come on. It's no big deal to pray in front of other people. I mean, it's one of the easiest things you might ever do. But then it occurred to me that like religious and non-religious people consistently rank speaking in public as their number one fear. This fear actually occurs on ranking lists ahead of snakes, which is number two and the fear of death, which is number three for some really crazy reason, all right? So it does make sense to me that on some level, people might be uncomfortable praying or speaking to God in front of other people. Like, can you imagine for just a moment combining all three of those fears into one? Like praying in front of a room full of deadly snakes, you guys, that's just terrifying. Anybody should be afraid of that. But you know, as a pastor, I wanna help people who feel anxious, when they think about prayer, whether it's personal prayer, whether it's public and and group prayer, I want to help. And so I did what any good pastor does when he wants to research a subject. I went to Google, okay? And I typed into Google fear of praying. And when I did, it auto-filled with several of the things that people typically search for, (laughs) fear of praying, and then fill in the blank. And I was not ready for answer number one. You can see that there. The most common thing that people search for when you type in fear of praying is fear of praying mantis, okay? Which I don't know if you ever saw Godzilla fight that giant praying mantis in the movie. Like that might be a legitimate fear, honestly, I don't know. But you'll see there the second and third answers are fear of praying in public, fear of praying out loud, fear of praying in front of others. So this is a legitimate anxiety that many people do experience and search for help for. And then, of course, there are some of you that are here this morning, you're like, forget praying out loud, man. I get, I get worked up. I get twisted in knots just when I think about praying myself. It's like confusing and I'm uncertain. And you know, that's definitely how I felt when I first became a Christian. They started talking to me about the importance of prayer. I'm like, what do I even say? How do I know if God is really listening? What if I get it wrong? There were all of these anxieties around prayer. And those anxieties may have a lot of sources, but for most of us, or at least for many of us, it really just comes down to one or two things. We're afraid that we won't know what to say, or we're afraid that whatever we do say, we're going to say in the wrong way. Are you with me? It's like, I'm just not sure if I'm doing it right. And so I don't know if I should be doing it. And I certainly don't want to do it in front of other people. So in this final message of our Praying with Fire series, I I want to use the most famous prayer that's ever been spoken. It is one that you are all familiar with. And I want it to be a really practical guide on what you should say when you talk to God. Basically, this is like an explain it like I'm five. You familiar with that? You're like, take a a really heady and complicated concept, distill it down like I'm in kindergarten as best you possibly can so that I can at least grasp the basics, get started, and then I can move on and start to get some of the deeper uh, elements of it. And so what I hope is that after we read this prayer together and we talk about three 
simple things that should be present in your prayers that you will feel much more comfortable with prayer. Prayer won't fill you with anxiety, that you would get so comfortable, that prayer would come so naturally to you that not only would you do it in your own personal devotional time, but hey, you might even feel confident enough to start praying in front of other people. You can exchange your fear of praying for a fear of praying mantis, okay? All right, Luke chapter number 11, it's where we're gonna be this morning. It's actually the same passage we were in last week. Luke chapter number 11, verses one through 13, we're gonna read. Let's start in verse number one. Look at what the scripture says. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples. Now for me, this seems like a kind of a, okay, we're setting up something that's about to come, but I think it's important to really pay attention to what's going on here. I find this verse very encouraging. And the reason is because the disciples had been following Jesus for many months by this point, possibly even as long as two years by the time this uh, particular conversation happens. And so they spent every day with him. They heard him pray. They saw miraculous results from his prayers. And yet the disciples still needed to ask Jesus, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? They still needed help to develop their own personal prayer lives. Can I remind you of something that's really obvious, but it is easy to forget? Nobody is born knowing how to pray. It's, it's not like some people are just born with this natural gift and they know how to speak to God and it comes easily to them and other people are just not. And I'm probably one of those not people. No, nobody is born knowing how to pray. It is a skill that all of us have to learn in the same way that talking in social settings is a skill that you have to learn. Writing a coherent email is a skill that you learn. Talking to God is a skill that anyone can develop. So listen, don't beat yourself up. If when you pray, your prayers are like simple or they're awkward or they're halting, you're like, boy, I I just don't pray like Pastor Dan or I don't pray like my mama does or whatever. That's okay. Everybody starts in the awkward phase. Everybody starts struggling with prayer. Even the disciples needed to be taught the basics of how to pray with fire. Now, this detail is also really important because it confronts a myth that many people have when it comes to following Jesus. And the myth is one that you might've even bought into and not even realized it. Some people think, okay, I'll follow Jesus or I'll be ready to follow Jesus once I kind of have it figured out right? Like once I have the answers and know how all this works and I can answer even the basic questions, then I'll finally be ready. But the disciples had already been following Jesus and they still needed help with the basics. In fact, let me tell you, so much of the Christian faith, you cannot figure out ahead of time. You can only figure it out as you walk in the ways of Jesus. You only learn how to pray as you pray. You only learn how to say no to yourself as you do it every single day walking after Jesus. It's a little like playing a board game. I don't know if we have any board game fans here. You're gonna hear later. We have another semester of Games and God, our connect group that has tabletop games here every Friday night. I love them. Great time to build community. Anyway, if you're a game fan, or maybe you're not even a game fan, but a game fan in your life roped you into sitting down and playing. Have you ever had this experience where, You sit down, it's a game you've never played before, and they start telling you the instructions. And the instructions are going on and on and on and on. And your head is swimming and there's so many pieces and details. And eventually you say, you know what? Let's just start playing. We'll figure it out as we go. That is exactly what it's like to follow Jesus. I could sit up, you could sit here for 30 years under my preaching. 
And I could feed you and teach you and give you all the answers. And you know what? Your head would be swimming. Why? Because you can only learn these things in the context of doing, in the context of discipleship, in the context of following Christ. So these disciples had been following Christ. And in the moment when Jesus was praying, they're saying, Lord, we want to be able to pray better. We want to pray more effectively. We want to pray more meaningful prayers. And so they asked him for help. If you feel like an outsider, If you feel like you don't have all the answers yet, you're in good company because that's exactly where Jesus' disciples were. So they say to Christ, teach us to pray. Verse two, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Now, before we look at how he says we should pray, I want to point out that Jesus doesn't get mad here at the disciples. He's not like, are you kidding me? This is such basic stuff. After two years, you still need me to teach you to pray? What have you been doing? Have you not been listening to me? Oh my gosh, you have the world's best teacher here, and yet you still don't know how to... He doesn't say any of that. They say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray effectively? Would you teach us to love prayer? And Jesus says, of course, this is how you should pray. Verse three, Jesus said, Father, May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the Lord's Prayer. The most famous words that have ever been spoken on the subject of prayer. The prayer that has been recited and repeated more times throughout history than any other prayer. If you grew up Catholic or Anglican or Orthodox, you probably know these words by heart and you memorized them in the King James, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Maybe your memories of prayer, your experience of prayer has always included the words of the Our Father prayer. Or maybe you have very little experience with prayer, but because of like movies and TVs and cult TVs, TV and culture and stuff like that, this is kind of all you know about prayer. It's like, yeah, the only prayer I might know is like the one where Jesus is like, our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. You know, that's it, okay? So regardless of your experience level with this prayer, these really are the most important and enduring words that have ever been spoken on the subject of prayer. They're really, really important to pay attention to. But here's a weird fact that you might not know. We have dozens and dozens of prayers that are recorded in the Bible after Luke 11, okay? Lots of prayers that Jesus, his disciples, his later followers, lots of prayers that they spoke, but weirdly enough, the Lord's Prayer is never recited again. Did you know that? Jesus says, this is how you should pray, but there's never an example of the disciples saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not there. Jesus never prayed this. There were many times Jesus prayed personally and privately. There are times Jesus prayed publicly in front of huge crowds. And never again does he recite these most famous words on prayer. Like, how come? If this is the most important thing that's ever been said on the subject of prayer, if this is the most famous prayer that's ever been uttered, why is it that it really only occurs in this one particular episode. Well, it all comes down to what Jesus said in verse number two. I'm going to put it back here on the screen for you. I want you to notice Jesus said, this is how you should pray. He doesn't say, so this is what you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He doesn't say that. He says, this is how you should pray. He isn't giving us a script 
to memorize. He's giving us a guideline for how our prayers should be formatted, the things that need to be included. What do I say when I speak to God? Well, Jesus actually spells it out for us here in this uh, section of the Lord's Prayer. Now, hear me. There's nothing wrong with reciting these words. Like I have prayed the Our Father prayer more times than I can even count. And in churches or at your school that you went to or whatever, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But Jesus didn't mean for this merely to be a script. He meant for it to be a, a template. He meant for it to be a way for us to understand what should be included in our prayers when we talk to God. So what did Jesus say should be included in, this, in, this, uh, in our prayers? What should we say when we pray? Well, the Lord's Prayer, it has been dissected like hundreds of ways by theologians and scholars, and like there are so many ways to break it down, it's, it's crazy, okay? But I told you this morning that I want to give you like the most basic things. ELI 5, explain it like I'm 5. Help me to get this so that I can get at least started somewhere. So what I want to do then is I want to show you three elements that are included in the Lord's Prayer that should be included in your prayers. If you're like, I'm praying, but like, I don't know, sometimes my prayers feel shallow or one-dimensional. I feel like I'm missing some things, but I don't know. I feel like I repeat myself a lot in prayers. I don't really understand. What else should I include? It's kind of like, you know how you have to have a balanced meal? You got to have different elements on a plate. I don't know. I'm one of those weird people. Like, I don't eat food. I eat ingredients. Like, Amber's like, what are you going to have for dinner? And I'm like, I'm going to have steak. And she's like, okay, and? And I'm like, no, I'm going to have a steak. It's just going to be such a big steak. There's no room for potatoes or broccoli. Or You're supposed to have a balanced meal. You're supposed to have a balanced prayer life. Your prayer life should include more than one element, more than one thing that you pray about. And in the Lord's Prayer, most basically, we see three things that you should include. The words, thank you, I'm sorry, and please. Thank you, I'm sorry, and please. Those three phrases, like if you, I know this sounds so elementary, you're like, bro, I, I've, I've, I braved minus 20 degree weather, I get it, okay? But I told you, we're trying to break it down as simple as we possibly can, because that's where a lot of us are, and there's nothing wrong. Everybody starts at ground zero. Thank you. I'm sorry, and please. If your prayer life were to actually start to include all three of these elements, and not just one or two, but all three of them, then you would find prayer is like healthy. Like there's some meat to it. There's some meaning behind it. You'll start to notice, if you, if you really think through this framework and rubric, you'll start to notice, man, my prayers were really one-dimensional. You'll notice a lot of the prayers that I hear, even from other Christians, are missing some things. No wonder we don't love prayer. No wonder prayer doesn't feel as effective or helpful as it should be. Thank you. I'm sorry. And please. So let's talk about those three things. Let's, let's go back to front. We'll start with please because it's the easiest to understand. Let me be really clear. Your prayers should include please. You should be asking God for the things that you want and need in life. God not only gives us permission, he commands us to ask him for the things that we want and need. In the Lord's Prayer, the template, when he says, this is how you should pray, he says, give us our daily bread. Meet our needs today, God. I'm asking you to provide. I'm asking you to provide for like even the basic stuff like my food. And if you're gonna provide bread on my plate, then I'm sure you're gonna provide all these other things that are on my heart as well. The book of James tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. God wants us to say please 
in our prayers. Uh, we talked about this uh, a week or two ago, so I don't want to belabor the point too much here, but if you ever feel like, oh, I'm kind of selfish in my prayers, and I don't know, I don't mind praying for other people, but I don't like praying for myself, then you are, you're, you're missing the point. Jesus calls us. God commands his people to say please to him, to ask him to meet their needs. But I got to tell you, it's important that you recognize what we talked about earlier in the series, that God ultimately has the authority to say yes or no to any of your pleases. And two, your pleases should include other people as much as yourself. It's not just please for me, but it's please for my family, please for my city, please for my church, please for my coworkers, my neighbors, whoever it might be, please for the terrorists, God, whatever. Please work in these situations. Notice that Jesus says, give us our daily bread. Jesus didn't teach you to pray, God, give me my cheddar, man. Give me my bread. Give me, give me, give me mine. He says, give us. And so we don't just say please for ourselves, but we say please for one another as well. That's called intercessory prayers. We're interceding on the behalf of somebody else. Your prayers should say please. They should also say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins. Forgive our sins. Your prayer life should regularly include the confession of mistakes and sins. Why? Well, it's not because if you don't confess every single sin that you ever commit, then God won't forgive it. Like the scripture is really clear. God is so good, so gracious, so merciful and just that the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago was sufficient to pay for every single sin that the world has ever committed, past, present, and future. And so it's not a matter of, well, I get forgiveness if I remember it, because frankly, I don't remember most of the times I sin. There are times I sin and I don't even realize it's a sin. And so if I have to pray for forgiveness for every single one of them, I'm going to be in trouble. And so are you. So it's not that we have to say, I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness in order to be forgiven. Rather, when we say, I'm sorry every single day, you know what it does? It reminds us of just how desperately we need God's grace. Like every day, I, like, I'm like, oh boy, I thought I was doing well following Jesus and here I am again. I'm sorry, okay? We need to be reminded that no matter what, God loves us, but boy, if it weren't for his mercy and grace, we would all be in a heap of trouble. I am a sinner. I remain a sinner. I'm a saint that's been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, but I sure haven't gotten over everything yet. I'm still working. That process of sanctification is still coming. And so we say, I'm sorry. God, I, I, I know I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have done that. I'm gonna say, I'm sorry to you, God, and I'm gonna say, I'm sorry to him, God, because he needs to hear it as well. I'm sorry needs to be a part of your prayer life regularly. Not just every great once in a while, not just on communion Sunday, but like every day, God, I'm sorry. I know I didn't get it right here. So I'm asking for your grace and forgiveness. Help me to do better in the future. The scripture tells us that when we confess in prayer, when we confess our sins in prayer, we receive both forgiveness and healing. Some of you are like, I want healing, but I don't think I need forgiveness. Some of you are like, I just want forgiveness. I don't think I need healing. You will receive both if you actively and specifically say, I'm sorry and confess your sins to God. Then thank you. So please, I'm sorry and thank you. And thank you is so critically important. It's the one that we often forget. You know, it's like God blesses us 
and we take those blessings for granted. We just start asking for more and more and more. It's like, oh, you said yes to that one? Well, hey, I got a whole list here for you, buddy. Um, You know how important thank you is. You know. Like somebody gives your child something, and what is the first thing you say to them? You say, either thank you on their behalf, or you say, what do you say? What do you say? Thank you. You won't let them get away with receiving a gift. You wouldn't let them be the recipient of someone's grace or goodness without saying thank you. How often do we do that, though? We fail to say thank you to God, who is the source of every single gift that we receive. And who do you think God is more likely to continue to bless in the future? The ones that say thank you are the ones that are like, appreciate that, I'm out. And and we roll out and we don't give God the credit or the glory that he's due. One person asked the question, what would life look like if all you had today is what you thanked God for yesterday? Okay, moving on. I don't like that question. (laughs) It's also important not just to thank God for what he's done, okay? Because like, yeah, of course, that's the obvious one, what he's done. But hey, we also need to thank God for who he is. We don't just thank God for his gifts, but we praise him for his glory. Jesus said he is our father. That is a statement about who God is. And you should give him thanks. You should give him glory. You should honor him for being a father to you. He's not a cosmic cop. He's not a mean judge. He could be. (laughs) I deserve a mean judge. But instead, I've got a loving heavenly father. And so I should thank him for that. It's like what 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17 says. It says that God is the king eternal, immortal, invisible. He is the only God. So to him be glory and glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Like our prayers should be thank you for what you've done, but God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you're real. Thank you that you're eternal. Thank you that you're gracious. Thank you that you love all people. Thank you for who you are and thank you for what it is that you've done. Please, I'm sorry, and thank you. Those, like if you were to incorporate those three phrases into your prayers every day or the majority of your prayers every day, it's like you would start to feel like a prayer superhero. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, man, I don't know, something is clicking here. Because too often we do one, maybe two, but rarely do we do three. Please, I'm sorry, and thank you. Now, if you're like, Dan, like, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive, and um, I'm sure that there are some nice folks here today that needed that, but, okay, maybe it's too elementary for you. What about using this as the framework to teach your kids or your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, those little ones upstairs? Like, what if we start, okay, maybe that's a child's level of prayer. Well, there are a lot of kids around that need some mature saints in the faith to teach them how to pray. And they're they're not going to be able to memorize the words of the Our Father. And even if they memorize them, they're not going to really understand them right now. So maybe you teach them. Thank you. I'm sorry. And please start them at a young age saying these three phrases in their prayers and then watch how they surpass even you 
in the future in their own personal prayer life. Okay, so Jesus continues teaching on prayer. We're going to start to wrap this up. He uses a couple of illustrations, and frankly, these illustrations are weird. They're very confusing at first glance, but they make a ton of sense if you work through each of them together as a whole. So look at verse number five. So he's just finished saying, this is how you should pray. He teaches them the the Our Father prayer. And then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, another friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. In the first century, this was a major social faux pas. If you didn't show hospitality to guests, like that was scandalous. It was a really, really big deal to not be, like you would just, your friend had just traveled for like a hundred miles on a donkey through the desert and he's probably hungry and needs something to drink and you don't have anything. So this is a serious situation in their culture. He says, I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose your neighbor calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Jesus says, but I tell you this, though he won't answer the door for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Okay, this is a parable. I've told you before that parables are are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Basically, in every single parable, there's a character that's meant to represent God. There's a character that's meant to represent you, okay? So if you kind of keep all of that in mind, you look at this and you're like, wait, so Jesus is saying that God is kind of like annoyed and a meanie and like I knock and he's like, bro, I don't have time for you. Go away. And then if I just keep, then finally he's like, all right, leave me alone. Here you go. No, okay? Now, I know that seems like what Jesus is saying. So what you have to do is you have to read the entirety of his teaching here so you don't misunderstand what he's saying. This is why reading the context of a Bible passage is so very important. We just had a seminar here yesterday on how to read the Bible. And I know for a fact that Heidi and Chelsea were teaching you guys, look, context will help you determine meaning. If you're reading the Bible and you're like, this passage makes no sense, or this thing that Jesus said seems contrary to something he said elsewhere, reading the context, the verses that come before and the verses that come after will often help make sense out of it. So you keep reading the context here, it will start to clear up what Jesus is saying. Verse 11, he says this. He says, now you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion to play with? Of course not. So Jesus is kind of using now, not an imaginary example, but he's talking to dads in the audience and he's like, hey, suppose your kid asks you to give them something very basic, like a legitimate need. Like, would you play a trick on them and give them something bad instead? Now I know like good dads, they know the value of a prank, okay? Good dads understand the value of a practical joke. But we're not talking pranks and practical jokes here. We're talking about neglect and abuse. And Jesus says, there are some of you guys that think that earthly fathers would be kinder to their children than the heavenly father is to his children. You think God neglects you. You think God would abuse you. But he goes on to say in verse number 13, and this is the key to understanding everything he just said after the Lord's prayer. He says, so if you sinful, imperfect people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you or give the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit to those who ask him? 
So Jesus is saying, look, God is not like your neighbor that you have to bug the hell out of for him to answer your prayer request. It's not like that. He's not like an abusive or neglectful dad who won't meet his kids' basic needs. He is a good heavenly father. He is gracious. He is kind. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He is full of loving compassion for all generations. The Bible says he is the father of the heavenly lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. His character towards you is good. His plans for you are good. And so when we pray, we are praying not to somebody that we've got to convince or conjole, not somebody that we've got to bug in order to get him to answer us. We have somebody that is in heaven happy to hear our voice. You get all in your head and in your feelings about prayer. You're like, boy, am I saying it right? Am I forgetting anything important? Is he listening to me? Does he hate me? The whole time, you are criticizing your prayers. God's up there cheering your prayers. He's like, oh, I'm so glad you started talking to me again. It's been a while, but I'm glad. And he wants to have this ongoing conversation with you. And yeah, it starts simple and basic, but then it gets richer and deeper and fuller and more meaningful and more beautiful as time goes on. And suddenly, prayer is not something you fear. Prayer is not something that you're anxious or confused about. Prayer becomes your lifeblood. Martin Luther said, it's no more possible for a Christian to live without praying than it is for a person to live without breathing. It all starts with understanding how simple prayer can be and how much God wants to hear from you. There's one little section that I want to read to you in this same passage. Jesus says here in verse number nine, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you will find. Some of you have been seeking, still haven't found. Don't give up the seeking. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That's a promise from Jesus. In the end, all it takes to become more comfortable in prayer is a specific plan and some practice. Like that's it. It's, it's not like, you know, you got to memorize these long scripts or fancy words, you know? You don't have to pray out loud in front of a group. It, like, all it takes is like, okay, I've got three phrases that I need to include in my prayers. Please thank you, and I'm sorry. And I, I'm going to do it regularly. I'm going to pray often. I'm going to get used to saying these things. I'm going to get used to praying in front of other people. Eventually, it will become like second nature. It'll become beautiful and meaningful to you. So I want to end um, with a question for you. Questions are on the screen, so just listen up here. Um, let's put, yeah, there we go. Thank you. You guys are ahead of me. Love it. Um, we've got these three phrases. Thank you, I'm sorry, and please. And I'm just curious, as the Spirit speaks to you, and the Spirit is speaking to every single person that's in the room, as the Spirit speaks to you, which of these three phrases is he saying, yeah, that one needs a little more attention? It might be please. For some of you, it is please. But for others, it's thank you. For others, it's I'm sorry. I don't know which it is because like it could be, you know, for all of us completely different. But in the end, if the Spirit says you should pray that phrase, that, phrase, that prayer a little more often, then do it incorporate that more into your prayer life every single day. And I promise you, prayer will be much more meaningful to you. And then, last thing I'll say is this. Prayer 
is so powerful. Simple prayers, short prayers like we talked about last week, prayers that only include these three phrases are so powerful that it's actually how you begin a relationship with God. Do you realize that? Like you begin a relationship with God. You become a Christian. You are transferred from death to life, from darkness to light, from despair to joy. You make that transition by saying these three simple phrases in prayer. If you said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so, I know I have not gotten it right. I know I've broken the rules. I know I've turned my back on you. I'm sorry for that. And then you said, would you please give me your mercy? Would you come into my life? Would you save my soul? Would you change my life? Would you give me new hope and joy and meaning? Would you please save me? And then you said, God, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Do you realize you've just prayed the sinner's prayer? That's how you begin a relationship with God. It's these three simple phrases. If it's good enough to start your relationship with God, it's good enough to sustain your relationship with God. And so I want to invite anybody here that's in the room to pray these three things together with me and begin this relationship with God. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just pray together. You can say these words, just repeat them after me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me and give me a fresh start through Jesus. Thank you for loving me and giving me eternal life through your son. I ask it in his name, amen. Hey, if you did pray that prayer for the first time, it's the start of your journey with Jesus. You're gonna see people that are taking their second step in their journey of Jesus. So it begins with the prayer, it moves on to baptism, and uh, and then it goes on to like walking in Jesus' ways every single day. But no matter where you're at in your journey with Jesus, don't forget the importance of praying and saying thank you, I'm sorry, and please.